I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, and welcome to Film Chat a podcast all about a secret spy who is captured by an evil genius hell-bent on reversing time, but is then rescued by her stepchildren with the help of a robotic dog voiced by Ricky Gervais. Oh, sorry, that's actually the plot of Spike is for all the time in the world. This is actually a podcast in which we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, joining me is my old pal and lover, Sam Foster. <laughs> Sam, what the hell are we covering this week? Coming up on today's film chat, reviews of this week's best talking bear film, Paddington. And the acclaimed indie thriller Blue Ruin, which has recently arrived on Netflix. Plus, Danny will be testing my knowledge of Lars von Trier, which is frankly limited. It's a great show. I'm proud to be a part of it. (laughs) As am I. Sam, correspondence. We've had one very high-profile correspondent from the director James Gunn, who directed Gunn is the Galaxy. Gunn is the Galaxy, this year's smash hit. He tweeted us, because that's not what happens, numerous sites discuss the scientific angle of why. And I'm not even sure that's a sentence. Not even sure. I think the money's gone to his head. Discuss the angle of why? I'm going to need some context for this, James Gunn. Uh, Gunn. Yeah. Some context, please. Yeah. So, I mean, exciting that he cool tweeted to, in. Cool to hear from him, but it's just so cryptic. Just, what does he mean? He probably meant it for someone else. Yeah. He probably meant it for his friend who's called, like, Fred Cat or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, any more correspondence, Sam? Yeah, we got a comment on Facebook from uh, an interesting-looking character called <laughs> Amy Moran. Amy Moran? Yeah. <laughs> I've never come across her. She's got a couple suggestions for alternate names okay. for our podcast. Lay it on me. First one is... Mi chata su chata. Mi chata su chata. Spanish. I believe that's uh, Spanish for great film podcast. Oh, well, so accurate. Seems, seems appropriate. She also suggests review from a bridge. So that's, but she stipulates that that's um, only uh, to be used when we're actually recording on a bridge. 
Yeah, I'm not sure if we're going to be doing that anytime soon. Yeah, or, or doing an abridged review. Well, all our reviews are abridged reviews. Um, we've also got a few more suggestions um, from our friend Chris, who's taken the anagram route, uh, a road that we've travelled before in um, looking at alternate names. Chris notes that film chat is an anagram of filch mat, um, which is an interesting term. Filch mat. Not one that I use every day. Do you have a filch mat? I don't. <laughs> not in my current residence. Where do you put your filch? Not since I was a boy. <laughs> your filching years were really, what, yeah. five to ten? I hit peak filching, uh, yeah, at around seven, I would say, and then my uh, my mat has uh, become mouldy and unusable. So I was a late bloomer when it comes to. <laughs> Chris also notes that film chat is an anagram of chit flam, which is a mixture of chit chat and flim flam. Chit chat flim flam. Chit chat flim flam. He also <laughs> suggests itch flam. That's a bit like itch chit flam. Yeah. Itch for some flam. Itch flam is probably the most meaningless. Yeah, it doesn't really suggestion mean yet. And his final observation uh, on anagrams is that Sam and Danny is an anagram of any damn sand. So we could be. Chit flam with any damn sand. <laughs> with any damn sand. Well, okay. thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. And thanks, uh, forget her name. Uh, oh, um, uh, Amy Moo, Moo, Moo Cran. So, thanks a lot. A lot of great suggestions there, guys. Keep them coming. Thanks, guys. One day we are going to use them. This name is incredibly temporary. Yeah. Yeah. I'm prepared to redo each and every jingle I've done. Wow. I know, that's a big commitment. What if somebody doesn't scan in the I spent same several way. minutes on those jingles. Superhero films announced, casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped, Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint, that's the news that's fit to print. So last week, Sam, we had that exclusive uh, preview of the new Star Wars trailer. Yeah. We recorded before the actual trailer they released was released. What do you mean we recorded? We do you mean we were sent? No, but like we recorded the show Oh, before... I see. I thought you were implying some kind of um, tomfoolery about <laughs> no! stuff. No! Everything yeah. is 100% genuine. Yeah, yeah, that's they right. Released we this... recorded the show before the trailer was released. Yeah, something. and they went for this slightly ropier, less intensive trailer. Much less dialogue. Had. Much less dialogue uh, on Friday. Yeah. The internet exploded. Kim Kardashian tried to break it with her ass, but Star Wars <laughs> actually succeeded. What did you think? I quite liked it. Yeah, it looks like a return to kind of practical effects and proper landscapes and uh, away from the endless green screens. I was watching that trailer, it kind of made me realise how shit the prequels looked. Yeah. I was like, man, those movies look terrible. Um, and uh, I think that alone, like the contrast from what we have in our image of, uh, the image we have in our minds of new Star Wars movies was, uh, had a lot of appeal. Yeah. What did you make of it? I liked it, but I had some issues with it. Okay. Number one. I don't like this broadsword lightsaber. Yeah? Too stupid. Well, give it, give it a chance, you know, it's only in there for a second. You know what, like, why... why? You wouldn't want the hilt of your sword to be made of flame, probably. Yeah. Also, if it's going to be a hilt, why isn't it like a rapier hilt all the way around? You're only protecting, like, one side of your hands. Maybe, how about this? He's a Sith Lord, and he wants to strike terror into the heart of anyone who's facing him down, right? What makes a sword made of red flame slightly scarier? <laughs> More flame coming out the sides. How about that? No, don't buy it. I'm, I'm selling it. What I like about Star Wars, <laughs> the next price. Yeah. though, is like, I think this is why it's good. Someone else has made this point. This is very obvious. But like, it's sort of, George Lucas is like, I wanted samurais and cowboys to be in the same movie. 
with also some like World War Two dogfights, and like he did that. Yeah, that's but it's true. like don't who get, I don't want to be tapping into like European broadswords, knights and shit. That's really boring. Samurais are much cooler. I, I don't think that the no, distinction you're yes, making is that. I think I am. <laughs> don't. It's don't. not like a lightsaber. It looks like a samurai sword. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's like a katana, right? It's but like a not, flame katana. But it's not curved. Sorry. What? On on samurai swords straight? They're a bit curved. Do you see Kill Bill? See the sword she used in that? Straight, wasn't it? It's got a curve. <laughs> really? It's got a contour. It bends a little bit. Okay, well, there's a difference between changing a slight bend to adding a whole extra bit to it. I don't know. What else? That was you had several nickels. I also I didn't like the shoulder Millennium Falcon. <laughs> I didn't like it. Say it softly. I didn't like it. I think well, the internet will be furious with you, Danny. Number one, I don't like seeing a CGI Millennium Falcon. It bothers me. I wanted it to be a model. Secondly, I don't like the impossible camera angles they have in movies now. This is like a general point. You know, this is what annoyed me about gravity. It's like, <laughs> it like it's an like, old man. It's like, <laughs> in my day, cameras were still and just pointing at stuff. What the camera did was real. But I, like genuinely, it takes me out of a film where like a camera like does something like crazy, which obviously was achieved through like compositing shots or like fake or whatever. And like it's like uh, that's not it like takes me out of the film because it just feels like a cutscene from a video game. But that suggests that when you're watching a movie normally, you're somehow conscious of like the physical presence of the camera and what it can and can't do. Yeah, I think you are like a slightly subliminal. Interesting. Way. Interesting. That's my point. All right. So, so what would you give the uh, Star Wars trailer? Like three stars. Out of how many stars? Nine stars. <laughs> okay, that's... no, I don't know. It was pretty good, but yeah. I was, nah, I didn't like that bit. Couple of niggles. Couple of niggles. Yeah. And I've taken that and extrapolated to just conclude so the movie. The movie, the movie is eighty-eight. Uh, sorry, the trailer was eighty-eight seconds long. You have two niggles, so extrapolating from that, you will have like. Uh, 120 nickels in the final film? <laughs> yeah. At least. Yeah. I mean, you might have up to 150 nickels. Yeah, might have. And, and 10 nickels equals a... Uh, uh, hmm. I'm a bit worried about saying the word niggle too many times. <laughs> I think we should move on to something else. Certainly. Um, superhero casting news, which I am, I love. I absolutely love it when a superhero film gets cast. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be a lot of that coming. Uh, the latest one is Suicide Squad. It is. Um, everyone's a big fan of the Suicide Squad comics. And uh, we're all desperate to know who's going to be playing Captain Boomerang and, uh, you know, Rick Flag or whoever, I don't know. <laughs> yes, well... Yeah, saying, um, fine, um, actors you've heard of will be playing some characters you have not heard of. Precisely. Um, so The Suicide Squad is a DC comic where all the villains, or some of the villains from the DC universe, end up as a team because uh, they're incarcerated by the government and the way they pay their debt to society is by doing crazy missions that only a supervillain could accomplish. In yeah. fact, only a team of supervillains could accomplish. They sent the heroes, they didn't do it. They didn't do it. Now we need the villains. <laughs> now we need the villains. The people who always fail <laughs> in other things. <laughs> yeah. We'll send them. Yeah. Something with a flawed premise, perhaps. Yeah. It's and like a sort of dirty dozen. It's like a... That's the idea, right? Yeah. A comic book dirty dozen. And they've got uh, David Ayres, who just made Fury. Maybe they saw Fury and he was like, I like how this was a bunch of guys in a war. Instead of a bunch of guys in a war, a bunch of supervillains, like, in the modern world, mm. forting some kind of... So what they're keeping is the bunch aspect. The bunch. <laughs> so a lot of high-profile casting on this one. Um, Tom Hardy is playing Rick Flagg. 
the leader of the team. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of research on all the characters, and I, as far as I could tell, he wasn't really a super villain. He was just like a sort of good soldier guy. I think he's had to keep them all in check. Gotcha. Uh, Will Smith is playing Deadshot, who is a Batman villain, who's a super assassin, who's got the catchphrase, I never miss. Really? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that was the catchphrase of Bullseye in the Daredevil film, who is also a super assassin who never misses. And then there's a bit where Daredevil <laughs> makes him miss, and he's really angry. And he's like, you make me miss. Well, there uh, might be a slight duplication of ideas there in the DC universe. <laughs> uh, probably the biggest news is Jared Leto is playing, or Leto is playing the Joker, mm. which is quite a ballsy move for an actor, I guess, so, after Heath Ledger sort of stamped his name on it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's casting a big shadow of that role. Yeah. But Jared Leto, we know, can play skinny, weird, and high-pitched voice. Yeah, because um, that's what he's like. Because that's what he's like. Because <laughs> play- that's him. He's been preparing for the role about 43 years now. You know, I can see it. Yeah. Makes sense. And uh, most excitingly, Jay Courtney uh, is playing Captain Boomerang. I love that man! Now, I didn't know who Captain Boomerang was, <laughs> but I thought there might be a story behind that, that sounds name. Sounds like a gay porn star's <laughs> alias. Well, you're not, you're not far off. Oh, really? No, you are far off. Oh, okay. It's similarly camp. Anyway, so I researched Captain Boomerang. The Wikipedia article was a piece of genius, so I feel I need to read it verbatim. Let's get a bit of Boomerang info. Okay. So Boomerang's real name is George Harkness. Yeah. Okay, so here we go. Secretly the illegitimate son of an American soldier and an Australian woman, Harkness was raised in poverty, during which time he developed great skill in making boomerangs and in using them as weapons. As a young adult, he was hired as a performer and boomerang promoter by a toy company, which was, unbeknownst to him, owned by his biological father. Audience ridiculed him, and a resentful Harkness turned to using his boomerangs for crime. Okay, he became a recurring enemy of the Flash, typically by devising altered boomerangs, which could produce astonishing effects. Some would explode, others had razor-sharp edges, etc. And using wow. them ruthlessly. Can't wait to see this guy in action. I hope he just sort of turns up like a sort of hat with like you know uh, wine corks on yeah. them with a didgeridoo. Has he got a friend who like kills people with kangaroos <laughs> or something? Oh no, it's Captain <laughs> Ruka. <laughs> Rubanser. Fascinating. I think the one thing that's interesting is that DC have got titles which are less well known, so they're compensating with like massive A-list signings. Yeah. Because all these actors could, like, lead a movie. It's like Will Smith's playing, like, a supporting character. They must be giving him a ton of money. Well, is he a supporting character? Maybe Deadshot will be the focus of the squad. Who knows? Who knows? But it's, you know, Tom Hardy and Will Smith, those are quite big signings. Has Will Smith ever played an un, like, a character who was, you know, villainous in any way? Uh, in fact, has he ever played a character who wasn't a lovable rogue? I mean, he was quite mean about those robots in iRobot. And the reason for him being mean was quite silly. What, just because they, they seem too um, calculating? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking like a damn robot. <laughs> they lacked emotion, they didn't like it. Yeah. You've so got to die. Well, when, well, is, that, when is that coming out, Suicide? 2016. Oh, brilliant. I've already booked my... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot... We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I see to the cinema. 
So, news of a more art house nature, uh, Lars von Trier, the famous Danish agent provocateur, yes. enfant terrible, and other phrases. Agent provocateur and lingerie salesman. And lingerie salesman has given his first interview in three years since he uh, claimed a vow of silence following his whole Cannes... Yeah, he loved Hitler, right? Hitler uh, debacle. And um, a couple of interesting quotes have come out of it. Um, he's recently become sober. He's been sober for 90 days. Or was, was he an alcoholic before? Apparently so. He was like, I knew he had like bouts of depression, all these like crazy phobias. Mm. Apparently he was also uh, into substance abuse. And uh, he said, I don't know whether I can make more films. And that haunts me. He's just too clear-headed now. Yeah, he elaborates. Now I stand and must make an effort to stay alive by removing the different drugs. But at the same time, I try to keep this creative line, which I have put. I think it's poorly translated. <laughs> I think that it's simply not feasible, for no creative expression of artistic value has ever been carried out by former alcoholics and drug addicts. And he goes on to cite the Rolling Stones post getting clean as mm, being like, boring. terrible and yeah. boring and stuff. And he's quoted that he used to drink a bottle of vodka every day and combine it with some drugs. And he said, I can't recommend anyone to do the same. It's very dangerous and stupid in every way. <laughs> So, from the perspective of a fan of cinema, should we be hoping for Lars von Trier to fall off the wagon? I think so. Anyway, this got me thinking about a fun segment for the episode. Oh, what? Be fun? Fun? Yeah. Because Lars von Trier is uh, one of these directors who cultivates a certain mysteri mysterious sort of character about himself. Yeah. And he often just lies and deliberately just bullshits people. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of funny stories have sort of come out of his various crazy shoots. Mm -hmm. So I've prepared a little quiz. Okay. Some Lars von Trivia. Here are some facts about Lars von Trier. And I want you to tell me if they're true or false. Or am I being Lars von Sincere? Or am I being Lars von Get Out of Here? Oh, very nice. Thanks. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so he claimed his 2006 film, The Boss of It All, was shot with a camera technique called Automavision innovation which the camera angles and movements are selected by a computer. Sincere. Correct. You <laughs> did claim that. Nymphomaniac Part 1 is banned in Turkey. I'm going to go with Sincere for that one. That's also true. Okay. Uh, he's a big fan of The Jungle Book and lists it as one of his favourite films of all time. <laughs> um, let's go with Get Out of Here. That is, I just made that up. Okay. But he does hate cartoons. It's been a record of saying he hates all cartoons. All cartoons? Just hates them. When Stan Skarsgård had to perform the rape scene in Dogville, Lars told him to approach it like a romantic comedy. <laughs> it's got to be sincere. Yeah, that's uh, true. Um, he approached Julia Roberts for the lead in Breaking the Waves, but she turned it down. She later revealed that she regretted the decision and only turned it down because she had confused Von Trier with the Swedish director Lassie Hallström, who at the time had just made the film What's Eating Gilbert Grape, which she wasn't a fan of. Oof. Um, sincere? No, I just made that up. Quite elaborate. Elaborate invention. Okay. Uh, he has never been to America. Oh, that's, uh, that's a sincere. Yeah, it's yeah. true. But he's set. Like five of his films there. Um, <laughs> he said that uh, during the filming of Dance, uh, Dancer in the Dark, Bjork would say, Mr. Von Trier, I despise you, and spit at him every morning. And since then? Yeah, that's apparently true. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Gosh. So that concludes my quiz. Bjork spat at him every day. Yeah. Wow. And said, I despise you. Mm. Or, I despise you, Von Trier. <laughs> because that's how she talks, isn't it? Ooh, time for a break from love. 
all the film chat. Have a cup of tea, maybe make a quick snack and telephone friends so you know where she's at. Right, that's enough now. Back to film chat. Just one uh, cinema review this week. Um, Paddington, just a big family film based on the beloved um, children's book and TV show character, Paddington. A little talking bear with his little hat and his little coat and oh, his lovely so little voice. It's adorable. Yeah. Um, this is directed by Paul King, who uh, is the guy who directed The Bunny and the Bull. That's quite an interesting choice because uh, he has, you know, very, quite limited cinema experience. He also directed some of The Mighty Boosh and uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. And uh, he's quite a sort of creative, interesting guy. So, uh, yeah, interesting choice. And the film is great. That's it's my great. Yeah, initial reaction. Really what happens? Tell. Okay. Tell me. Paddington is a uh, bear from Peru. Mm -hmm. And he's got parents played, voiced by Michael Gambon and Imelda Staunton. And at the beginning of the movie, there is a disaster in Peru. And he has to leave his home and come to London. Uh, where he has been told that he'll be welcome um, because his parents met uh, an explorer from London who uh, said that they should visit any time they wanted to. And when he gets there, he is struck by the fact that it's not quite as easy to find a home as he might have imagined. So we're going to play a clip in which Paddington is waiting at the train station, hoping to find a home, and he encounters the Brown family, uh, with Hugh Bonneville as the dad, Sally Hawkins as the mum, and two not at all famous children, <laughs> uh, playing their children. And um, they spot Paddington, and Hugh Bonneville has a rather unfriendly reaction to him. And Sally Hawkins has a little more friendly reaction to him. So let's see how that plays out. Well, that was charming. So the first thing that is obvious from that clip, I think, is Ben Whishaw has a fantastic voice as Paddington. If you're just, like, um, listening to it really takes me back to the sort of comforting children's like audio things like old bear stories and stuff like yeah. that and he's got, he's got a kind of like warm voice that immediately settles you in to you know this is this is going to be a heartwarming film sure he was controversially or well, I don't know if that's too strong a word but that people were surprised when uh, Colin Firth who was the original voice of Paddington um, was fired or consciously uncoupled from yeah. uh, the filmmakers quite late on in the process and uh, subsequently replaced by Ben Whishaw. But when you watch it, you think, you know, Colin Firth, I mean, you know, he sounds posh and nice, but he's also like, was he like 55 or something yeah. like that? You know, and he's playing like a, clearly like a child bear. Yeah. And so, you know, the whole thing is about his like innocence and naivety and, you know, niceness, and it would not have made any sense. But yeah, one uh, thing I was going to say about the movie. You know, last week we were talking about Horrible Bosses 2 and comparing it to 22 Jump Street. Yeah. And saying that Horrible Bosses 2 is a load of absolute balls and 22 Jump Street is a mainstream American film that's really successful and hilarious. Yeah. I think you can sum up the difference between those two movies as one is made by people who gave a shit and the other one is made by people <laughs> who didn't give a shit. Yeah. You know? And Paddington is a film that's made by people who give a shit. How big you know? was the shit that they gave? They gave a, they gave a great big shit. And they gave it to all of us. <laughs> it's a beautiful um, metaphor. Yeah. And the, the comparison that I heard drawn somewhere else is with... Oh, I think it was Kermode. Now, he was comparing it with Postman Pat, which is another film that came out recently, you know, based on a beloved children's property, and was roundly, you know, panned and decried because it 
turned it into some kind of like weird X Factor thing with like robots and stuff. Yeah. And it was like, you know, totally wrong and bizarre. And this film is the complete opposite of that. It's made by people who really understand the character and who do all sorts of inventive, exciting things with it. And it's full of, uh, it's very funny, like it's, it's hilarious and it's full of like um, excellent lines. Yeah. It, it, like it doesn't, it, it feels more like a movie made as a uh, comic film like you know first and foremost like a comic like you know, warm family film rather than like you know how can we get the children interested in you know this bear or sure whatever, sure you know there's there doesn't seem to be any cynicism behind it whatsoever i've been told that it's actually an incredibly political film um, given the current climate and the, <laughs> the anti-immigration hot, the anti-immigration yeah. climate so the yeah, paddington would farage get rid of paddington well it's one of the really nice things about the movie yeah is this kind of message of you know, we should be welcoming to uh, to strangers and that kind of thing. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure that the they didn't set out to make this sort of polemical, you know, <laughs> political, like Ken Loach film or anything. Yeah. But, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a movie that's about London as well. Like, London is a big part of the movie. And on the one hand, they show London as this um, sort of slightly rainy, like, scary place. And they also kind of portray it as the bustling multicultural metropolis. Paddington says something in the movie like, um, London is a place where everyone is different, which means that anyone can fit in, whatever. And that's a Aww. really nice kind of message about the sort of place that you want London to be. Yeah. Rather than, you know, this like busy, faceless, like unfriendly place, which is what it seems when he first encounters it. Yeah. Um, Exciting. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to go see it. Yeah. You should go see it. It's excellent. Yeah. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ask quenchingly poor? How did Danny form the judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts If he does a rubbish job then Sam will tell him off So, um, I recently watched a film, not in the cinema mm. In the cupboard of my own home, Sam Watch films in homes now, can you? Yeah, home film <laughs> Home film <laughs> That's what I call it That's what I call it when watching at home Watching a home film Yes, I watched this film called Blue Ruin on Netflix I remember seeing a trailer which feels like a good film to review because it had a very limited release cinematically. I think it played like in the Curzone for 20 minutes, one yeah. after <laughs> And uh, it's, it's now appearing on a lot of people's best of 2014 lists. Well, so I, I was it's, like, what's all the hype? It seems appropriate that as our podcast approaching the end of the year, we should be highlighting some of the films that people might have missed. Well, I couldn't agree anymore. Maybe I can. Yes. <laughs> um, so there's a couple of interesting pieces of information about the film's history. The most exciting piece is that it was uh, Kickstarter funded oh, really? successfully um, cool. for $35,000, which isn't that much money. And a lot of pro-Kickstarter people are citing Blue Ruin as a sort of champion of Kickstarter working. Because up until Blue Ruin, the highest profile films were the Veronica Mars movie and Zach Brass, Zach film. Brass film. And the cynics was just saying, well, the films that were a known brand or had a star attached to it got funding. Yeah. So how's this any different to the Hollywood system? Yeah, yeah. But Blue Ruin is this film which has no one famous to it, and the director made one film called Murder Party in 2007, Sounds which great. no one had heard of until he made this film and looked at his resume. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting, and also it's subsequently been mainly seen on video on demand. So it's a sort of example of like modern movie-making landscape, this mm. film success. Okay, so to briefly uh, synopsisize the word we coined last week... Mm -hmm. Uh, the plot. It's about this homeless drifter character called Dwight and at the beginning of the film you sort of uh, see him like rooting around in garbage and sort of living in this 
uh, rusty car. The blue ruin of the title refers to this car which is a piece of shit. It's blue and it's ruined. The car that was a piece of <laughs> shit. Not a good title. Yeah, and um, early on in the film, a police officer finds him. He's obviously got quite a known to the local police and, te and tells him that it, the man who killed his parents is being released from prison. And this catalyzes the plot and it's about him seeking vengeance. Cool, I like the premise. Yeah, it's a very cool premise. Uh, I really enjoyed this film. I'm not sure if it lived up to the hype, but that's me sort of judging against the sort of fictional movie the reviews I read created in a way. Mm. And I think it's most successful as just like a very efficient, very enjoyable, tense thriller. And occasionally the film strives to be a bit more than that, but I'm not sure it quite pulls it off. Wasn't it sort of compared to like Cohen's? Yeah. Sort of Cohen, like something like Blood Simple? Or... Yeah, it's got the sort of Cohen's dark kind of comic beats to it because a lot of the film details sort of like quite gruesome acts done quite incompetently. Oh, yeah. So, so that's quite blood simple. Yeah, so the, like the sort of drift of character, he obviously doesn't really know what he's doing exactly, so like the way he uh, certain situations are handled, he just does it quite badly. Yeah. But that's kind of part of the joy of the movie because it's, it kind of subverts a lot of uh, thriller tropes by kind of just... What would happen if a real person did this? Yeah, what would yeah. actually happen? Yeah. So it kind of says like a sort of movie scene, and then like if you actually had a real person do that, what would the consequences be? Yeah, and this that's where the, a lot of the humor comes from. What's sort of good about the film is the actual like premise of the film is sort of uh, reaches a sort of culmination in the first like half an hour. Oh right, and, and the moves on to something else. Yeah, the actual film is almost like the film. That would happen after the regular film was over. Right, yeah, yeah, I see. So that's what's kind of interesting about it. It's kind of got a fresher take on it. And, uh, yeah, the the director obviously like knows his genre really well and uh, mines a lot of tension out of sort of quite mundane uh, budget, really. It's mm. like a lot of people just in rooms waiting for stuff to happen. Mm. But that's all very well done. But in a way, what is good about the film is also one of its shortcomings, which is that it's very efficiently told. It's sort of so stripped down that it almost strips everything away. <laughs> In a way. It's almost gone. It's almost gone. Well, it's uh, one of the sort of themes of the movie. Well, the main theme is sort of violence begets violence and an eye for an eye. Yeah. Means everyone doesn't have any eyes. Yeah. And then where would you be? <laughs> um, and uh, the sort of, it's like a sort of one-man show, This the actor... Uh, Macon or Macon uh, Blair is really good and it's a kind of one-man show but yeah he's great in it and he's obviously super dedicated to his role but he's a bit hampered by the script which is a bit more interested in setting up tense set pieces than the character in a way I see, and it yeah. sort of falls slightly between the two approaches I might sound a bit like, like a philistine but you know like I sort of came for the thriller stuff and anything else was going to bonus yeah, yeah yeah you know so it satisfied all my needs as a thriller mm. and uh i really enjoyed it but maybe if, maybe after hearing my review you'll like it more because you're going with their expectations mm. but if like you i'm not sure if it's like a, an amazing character study would it be one of your films of the year no no but i enjoyed it well that's all for this week's film chat um next time we'll be speaking to george clooney and asking him what it's really like being in a film Thanks. Bye. Bye! Film Chat was written by an old man and directed by his young son. The roles of Sam and Danny were performed by Emily Mortimer and Felicity Jones. A friend of Will Farrell's made the tea. If you drop this podcast in water, please abandon it. It has been destroyed.